Amen. Let's clap to our risen king today. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Go ahead and have a seat. It's so good to see you. Love to see all of you. You know what I think? Officially, I think you guys in this service have taken over the second service in the most attended. You can look around. Full house here today. We're so excited. And you know what makes it? Let me tell you what makes it. Seeing our students in here with us today. Amen. We're so proud of our students. I know Randy recognized you earlier, but we love you guys. And I wanted to say this to you. This isn't in the message today. You're not going to just be the church one day. I want you to hear this. You are the church right now. Right now. And God is working in you. You can look throughout His History and see that some of the greatest movements and spiritual awakenings that have happened in our nation have come through our students and through youth and teenagers. And so we are so excited about all that God did in your lives over the Disciple Now weekend. And we're so glad that you have joined us in here this morning. We're continuing in a series this morning called The Comeback. And we've been looking since the beginning of this year, just been going and tracking through the just the experiences of a man named Joseph. By the way, he was 17 years old when we start when we pick up in his life story and we've been looking at his life and just kind of learning uh, through his story and the comeback that God was going to do in his life but have you noticed this that life so often feels very much just like this watch this all right how many of you are feeling that isn't life just like that some of your hands are still up right your hands up as you're going down that that was does anybody know what roller coaster that was anybody know You know it. You got it, right? Life is so much like that, right? The ups, the downs. You wait in lots of lines, right? There's twists. There's curves. They throw, it throws you for loops. Life is so much just like that. And yes, that was the Titan. That was the last roller coaster that I have ridden in quite some time and uh, rode that roller coaster. And here's what I've discovered. I used to love riding roller coasters. In fact, uh, when I went to seminary, they had, uh, if you're going to be a youth pastor, they had roller coaster one-on-one. You had to have that to be a good youth pastor. You had to know how to ride lots of roller coasters as you're going with the kids all of the time. But I I used to love that. And here's what I've noticed is that in my 40s, my roller coaster riding days have diminished quite, quite a bit. I don't know. Anybody else? You feel that, right? Some of you who are older, you're like, oh, that's bringing back bad memories right now, you know, and you remember that. And there's something that happened when I turned 40 that instead of being really excited about, I loved right up to riding it, but there was something that happened when I got off. Instead of feeling really excited and wanting to go ride again, I felt like I'd been in a back alley fight. Okay, I felt like someone had beaten me up, you know, and that's one of the smooth roller coasters right there. And that Titan, that was the last one. That first hill, I'm just going to confess to to you right now, the first hill. I was even feeling it just a, a minute ago. That first hill, I'm just saying, as your pastor, there were words that came out of my mouth that I was not proud of, and that after they reattached my brain to my spinal cord, I had to spend a little bit of time in confession and repentance. I'm just saying, as Jesus has said, the words that come out of your mouth is an indication of what is in your heart. Definitely, those steep inclines will reveal what is in the darkest, deepest places of your heart. And so there was confession and repentance that happened, but I want you to know that that life is like that, right? You get it. It's the twists and the turns, the ups and the downs, throwing you for loops. And even on that one, there's this one curve on that one that I've talked to several of you and you've had this thing. I blacked out for about three seconds, blacked out, came to, I was like, where am I? I'm on a roller coaster. (laughs) 
I mean, that's what it was. I've forgotten that I was on a roller coaster, blacked out. That's what it was like. But life is so much like this. And, and in our lives, here's this kind of roller coaster life. It's often, it feels like this because of these things right here. We experience it with disappointments. And some of you have gone through some disappointments in your life. You go through disappointments, whether it's relational disappointments. For some of you, it's been a, a situation that's been a disappointment to, for you. For some of you, it's been just you're in a holding pattern and you're, and you're going through delays. It's these disappointments. It's these delays. And you're just wondering, am, am I ever going to get out of this season of my life? Right, And it's like over and over again in this holding pattern. And then for some of us, it's these unexpected detours. We, get, we just end up going on this, this direction in life, and we're like, how in the world did, did we end up where we're at right here? How did I get to this place in my life? Maybe some of you, you never envisioned that this is what your life at this specific moment would look like. And you've gone through disappointments. You've gone through these delays. You go through these difficulties, right, and these unexpected detours, I mean, when you drive around our area right now, we know something about detours. Wouldn't you agree? Every road is under construction around here, it seems like. And these detours, why do they frustrate us so much? Well, first of all, they weren't in our plans. And they interrupt us. They inconvenience us. We want to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. We had it envisioned in this one particular way that I was going to get there. And then what do we experience? Oh, man, nobody gets excited when they see a detour sign, right? It's like, oh, man, this is going to throw off my timing. You know what detours do? They mess up your timing. Detours mess up your timing. Or how about disappointments? Again, all kinds of disappointments that we go through. Maybe yours has been a relational thing. Someone let you down. And, but maybe it's just been a situation that you worked. Maybe you worked hard for something and it didn't pan out the way that you wanted. Or maybe you're disappointed by something at your job or, or whatever. Let me tell you about just a recent disappointment that uh, I kind of experienced. As most of you know, about five years ago, or a lot of you know, I started running. Uh, started uh, doing that just to lose some weight and to get back in shape. I wanted to, I wanted to feel better. I wanted to live longer for my family. And so I, I really needed to lose a lot of weight. And so I started running as the primary exercise that I was doing. And as I was doing this, I started off walking, then I started to running, then I started doing some races because I, I love to compete. And, and, and then I, I, I kind of graduated from some of the smaller races and, sh- and shorter distances. And I started running competitively. And I really got into this. When I get into something, I'm all in. And so I really got into this. And so I set a goal uh, after I I ran some shorter races. I set a goal to run a, a, a marathon. In fact, this is interesting. I was thinking about this this morning. The Cowtown Marathon is being run right now. Uh, people are running all over our city right now. And it was three, three years ago to the day at this very moment that I completed my first marathon, 26 miles. And I ran that and I completed that. And that was a big goal. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I decided to run that marathon that I would attempt after I ran the Cowtown, and I actually did relatively well. I was like, I kind of surprised myself, right, and surprised some people around me and stuff, and I decided at that moment, because I'm always looking to, I just want to go as far as I could go with this, and I decided to try to achieve a goal that, that really was, was, was pretty much out of my reach, especially five years ago, and so I decided I was going to try to qualify to run the Boston Marathon, and the Boston Marathon 
on is the granddaddy of all the races. That's the race that all the racers and runners want to get into. And, and, it, and you can't just get in. I mean, and, and you, you don't just pay and sign up to get in. Some of you think it's stupid and crazy to pay anyone to run. I understand that, right? But, but you can't just pay to get into this. You have to qualify uh, to run this race. And you do that by running another marathon at a very fast pace. And they take the best of those times because it's such a popular race. They take the best of those times and they whittle that down to a certain select group of people, okay? So I was all in. I started training like nobody's business. I ran more marathons and started getting involved in that. I hired a running coach that could analyze kind of and help me get better because I was struggling to get faster. I changed my diet. I trained for hours and hours, and I ran whenever I could. Sometimes late at night, I would be running. Some of you might even see me around town. I had one of those headlamps on, and I'd be running at night, so I wouldn't miss. It was so much time involved in this. I did it at night, so I wouldn't miss time with my family, and so I'd be running late at night, and I was all in, and then last January, uh, I ran the Houston Marathon. It was about a year ago. I ran the Houston Marathon as my qualifying race, and the time to get in was three hours and 25 minutes for my particular age group, and I ran a 3.22.59, and I qualified for the Boston Marathon. That was last year, okay? There's a picture of of me and my dad right after that. It's one of my favorite days. It was just an incredible day because this was a big goal in my life. I couldn't believe that I had achieved this goal. But here is the thing, right? Even when you qualify, you're still not automatically in. It's such a select kind of thing. And this, again, that was such a great, a, a great day, and, and I had been training so hard. But on, in the Boston Marathon, there's a waiting list. And there's not only a waiting list, it's such a popular race that even if you qualify, they take the best of your age group, the best times in your age group. So I had to wait nine months to even apply to get in. I still wasn't even sure if I was in. I had to wait nine months to apply to get in for a race that, and this was back in September, that hasn't even happened yet. That race is coming up next month. The 2017, it's that far out. You have to wait during all that time. And during the waiting, do you know what's happening? More training, more running, more breaking down of your body, trying to get faster. And I I tell you these things to illustrate how hard I worked at this. And I really, I gave it everything that I have. I put a lot into this. And and in fact, over the last four and a half years, I've logged 5,800 miles in the last four and a half years. Some of you have affectionately called me Pastor Gump, okay? Because one day I started running and I haven't stopped running since, right? And I don't know if there's any Gen A's in here, okay? But, uh, but I started running and, and, and that's across the United States and back, by the way, okay? That's how much in four and a half, I've been just crazy about trying to get into this. And I tell you these things just to tell you how hard it re- I really worked at this, all right? And after all of that training, all of that waiting, all of that dreaming and hoping and hard work put into this, I want to inform you this morning that I got an email from, not this morning, uh, but I want to tell you this morning, that I got an email from the Boston Marathon Association, and, uh, and, I, and this was a few months ago, and some of you already know this, but, but, I, but I, I want to just tell you what it said, and, and so with suspense, can I get a drum roll? Drum roll, please, okay, help me out. 
All right, that's good. All right. And so the drum roll said this, dear sir, the, the drum roll didn't say it, but this is what the email said. The drum roll, as the drum roll was playing, the email said this, okay? It says that the cutoff, sir, for this year's race was three hours, 22 minutes and 51 seconds. Do you remember what my time was? Three hours, 22 minutes, and does anybody remember? 59 seconds. I missed getting in the Boston Marathon and all that waiting and all that training and all that sweating and, and, and just suffering. Okay, because it's suffering. All right, all of that, I missed it by eight total seconds. Not eight seconds per mile. No, eight total seconds in this race. That's less than one third of a second per mile. That's it. That's that, right? It's like, what, really? That eight seconds, okay? A lot of work, a lot of waiting, only to be disappointed. In fact, if you want to cut me deep, if you want to cut me deep, you just count down from eight seconds. Just start counting in it. In fact, let's just get it out of your system right now, because I see Mark McAllister right now plotting. (laughs) See Mark. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Eight, seven, six, five, four. Three, two, one. Right, okay, that's what I experienced right there. Eight seconds for disappointment, right? And, and I was truly disappointed. And, and, and my wife said this. She said, as she's always trying to encourage me, she said, honey, if you just wouldn't have stopped to ride that bull named Fu Manchu for eight seconds <laughs> while you were running your marathon, Right? Went skydiving. Oh, you, some of you get it, right? Okay. All right. If you wouldn't, you would have made it if that eight seconds right there. And I realized this. That is a first world disappointment. All right. It's, nevertheless, it's a disappointment because there was a lot of work that was put in. Here is something that I do know. Some of you, the disappointments are far greater than something like that. I know some of you are going through a lot of pain right now in your life because you're disappointed about something. Something hasn't worked out. Maybe you worked hard for something. Or probably the most painful thing is that you've been let down by people. Maybe you've had a group of friends, students, or maybe, maybe it's been a friend that's turned on you. Or maybe, you know, and you're going through a period right now where you're dealing with some disappointment at school. Or you're dealing with just something that's disappointed you. And, and it's, it's tough when it's relational disappointments. When somebody has let you down, or not just situational, but relational. And, and, and by the way, I've dealt with those kinds of disappointments too. Life's just kind of made up of those things. And there are delays. Some of you are in that holding pattern right now, and you're like, am I ever going to get out of this? Some of you are on a detour. You're on a road right now, and you're like, how did I end up here? You've kind of come to your, this place of like, how did we end up where we are well, I want to just let you know this, and that's exhausting, by the way. And it's discouraging at times, right? But if anybody really understood what it was like to go through ups and downs, twists, turns, roller coaster ride, delays, detours, and disappointments, if anybody got this, it was Joseph, right? If you look at this guy's story that we've been looking at, you'll see that over and over again. At one point, he's way up here. Next point, it's like, what just happened? It bottomed out. Then what happens? He goes up again. And then, he, and then the next thing you know, his feet are cut out from under him. Somebody betrays him. I mean, just to recap just quickly his story, if you know his story, when he was 17, 
Many of you are right around that age. When he was 17, his brothers, I want you to think about this. They hated him so much because their father favored him. And it was very evident. And they hated him. And they, they plotted to murder their brother. They were going to kill their brother. These, they were the older brothers. They were going to kill him. But instead of murdering him, they threw him in a pit. And as some slave traders came by, they decided and rationalized that they would sell their brother into slavery. I want you to just to think about what that would be like. Your family selling you out. Selling you into slavery. Joseph is sold uh, as a slave. He went from a favored son to a slave. And I mean, this roller coaster ride is beginning in his life. And next thing you know, he's being sold in an auction block in Egypt. How in the world? He never thought he'd be in Egypt. He's in Egypt now. That wasn't in his plans. He had dreams to be, and God had given him a dream to be a great leader. And, and he probably thought it was going to be right there amongst his, uh, uh, his people. He didn't know that God had other plans and was going to do it in another way. And so he sold out. He's, he is bought by a man named Potiphar, who is the chief executioner, who is a powerful man, the, the temple, uh, the, the chief of the bodyguards for Pharaoh. And, and, and here is something that you should know is that Joseph, who followed Jehovah, who is God, who we worship, Potiphar did not. He was going in a place now where they didn't worship God. They worshiped Pharaoh and a multitude of other little G-O-D-S, little gods, like the Nile and all kinds of things, okay? And, and so, but here's something that happened. Joseph, over a period of time, is promoted within Potiphar's house. Or Potiphar notices Joseph, notices him, promotes him, notices that God is with this young man. And so he's promoted, promoted into master uh, administrator over the entire household of Potiphar. Now, while he is noticed by Potiphar, he is also noticed by Mrs. Potiphar. She sees him and sees that he's handsome and that he's becoming a powerful young man. And and I'm just going to shoot straight with you as the scripture does. She begins to seek to seduce him and to try to tempt him into sexual temptation with her and to begin an illicit affair. And at this moment, Joseph could have rationalized and said, man, life has done me wrong. I deserve this, but he doesn't. Do you know what he does? He chooses his loyalties to God over his lust. And he follows God, and and she persistently comes after him, trying to get him to go to bed with her. And he says, no, how could I do this wicked thing to my God? How could I do this to Potiphar, your husband, who has promoted me? He realizes that our decisions have a ripple effect, right? It affects others whenever we make bad decisions. And so... She comes to him at one final moment and has plotted to seduce him at this point. And, and, and she makes, gets everybody else out of the house. And he's there with her alone. And, and at this point, um, he realizes this as she puts the moves on him again. And he says, no. And he runs out of the house. So many lessons in that. But he leaves his coat behind, but his integrity is kept intact. Well, she decides in her anger to frame him up, as you know the story. She frames him. She lies. She accuses him of rape. Potiphar, when he finds out, is furious. But there's something that's so interesting. Potiphar could have had Joseph killed at that moment. He was a chief executioner. He was a slave. He didn't have any rights, but he doesn't. 
He throws him into Pharaoh's dungeon where he is there. And while he's in Pharaoh's dungeon, what the scripture tells us is that God never left Joseph. He was still with him. And he's in the dungeon, and he must have been, once again, roller coaster, up, down, twist, turn, all over the place. What in the world? How did I end up in a prison? I did the right thing. You ever been there? You did the right thing, and you still suffered for it? Well, Joseph's life shows us that that happens in this world. And so we see that he's there, and while God is with him, the warden notices Joseph. And he promotes him again. He's put in charge in the prison. While he's in the prison, Pharaoh throws two of his guys in prison who displeased him. He throws the cupbearer in prison and he throws the baker in prison. They have these wild dreams and they are disturbed by them. And Joseph says, I can help you with what those dreams mean. So Joseph tells them what the dreams mean. And for time's sake, I'll just tell you that the dreams, uh, the baker was executed as the dream would indicate. He was executed by Pharaoh and the cupbearer was restored back to his place of influence with Pharaoh. And Joseph says this, dude, I've helped you out. Will you just remember this? Remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me. Look at what it says. Genesis 40 verse 14. He says, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. All I'm asking is for you to help a brother out. Get me out of here. I don't deserve to be here. Look at what he says. Mention me to Pharaoh, that's it, so that he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. And I know some of you feel this, but I did nothing to deserve this. I don't get this. Why am I going through this? That's all he asked. Can you just help me out? Please don't forget me. Well, what do you think? Did the cupbearer remember him? No, let's look what happens. Pharaoh's cheap cupbearer, however, say it with me, forgot all about Joseph never giving him another thought. And I know that some of you, when you read that, I know God kind of maybe speaks to your heart a little bit because you've experienced that. Maybe you felt forgotten at some point in your life. Maybe some of you who are teenagers this morning, you'd feel like maybe your parents have forgotten you. Or maybe you had a mom or a dad walk out and you feel forgotten. Maybe some of you who are adults, you feel forgotten. You did a favor for somebody at work and they didn't reciprocate and you're struggling with that. Joseph at this moment was forgotten and disappointed yet again. But here's what I want you to know is that in this whole process over and over again, if you read his story, what you will see, God will reiterate, is God never left him. Man may have forgotten him. Men may have disappointed him, but God never left Joseph. God continued to walk with him through all of this and get him ready for what was about to happen. So you would think that, okay, he said, help me out. Remember me. You'd think that maybe something good would happen. Genesis 41, Joseph's let down again. And now I want you to notice the waiting, holding pattern, delay. Look at what it says. Two full years later. You feel that? The holding pattern. Pharaoh had a dream. All that time passed. And I want to say this again. I've said it in every service, but specifically, that's hard to say. Specifically, I want to say it to our students today. Joseph has been in this place 
for 13 years he has been in Egypt. This ordeal happened when he was 17 years old. And here's what I've been wanting to say to you guys all day today. I was a teenager like you are whenever I decided to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I, I cried out for God to save me and I surrendered my life to him. And what I can say to you today is a 46-year-old man who can't ride roller coasters anymore without getting hurt bad, okay? Here's the thing I want to say to you. I have never regretted that. And here is what I know every adult will reiterate along with me. Help me out, adults, is this. Is that it is imperative at this age in your life that you do not wait to come into a relationship with God. And we see that in Joseph's life, that he's 17 years old and he is in a relationship with God. What got Joseph through all of these things? It was his walk with God. Because here's what I'm going to tell you, and I don't say this to you to scare you or anything like this. I say this to you just to shoot straight, is that sometimes you need to hear this, and the adults will attest to this. Sometimes life is so much like that roller coaster. Sometimes life is so incredibly hard. And I shudder to think where I would be and what my life would look like today if I'd not placed my faith in Jesus Christ as a teenager because I made mistakes even in my 20s and 30s, even knowing him. Right, adults, right? I'm so proud of you. And if you don't know him yet, I'm, I'm just saying right now, call on him to save you. You will not regret it. And he will anchor you through the things that you will go through in your life. Life will not be easy just because you're a believer. But... He will walk with you through those things. He never left Joseph, even though everybody else did. He never left Joseph, and he will never leave you. He will walk with you through the things in your life. Listen, all this stuff in Joseph's life, we can see that God was working. If you're writing some notes down, here's just some quick things to write. Number one, here's what we know. God uses delays, disappointments, and detours to develop you. Randy mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, okay? And I just want to bring this back up because I want you to catch the context of him in the prison, the disappointment that he's going through, the delay again, the detour again. God never wastes those things. He's using these things to develop you for his purpose for your life. And by the way, you have a purpose. You're not just here by chance or haphazardly. God has a purpose and he's getting you ready. And here's what I've discovered is that reaching God's plan and his destination for us and his purpose for us never seems to happen in a short amount of time. I wish it did, but it doesn't. It never seems to be the most direct route. Have you noticed that, right? It never, it never seems to be or happen or come about without there being training which involves, I'm just going to use this word, some suffering, some pain in the process. 
That's what God does is he uses these things. The world's broken, right, because of sin, but God is not going to waste these things in our life. You can look at every major Bible figure and see what I just said is absolutely true. When you look at Abraham, you see that God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and then what happened? It was, he didn't have a son. 25 years. He was 75 when God told him that, by the way. He had to wait 25 years. He had his son when he was 100, right, Okay. He wasn't riding roller coasters at that time, I guarantee you that. But he had his, do you see the delay? He, he took him on some detours. There were disappointments in this. By the way, when you look at Abraham, you see that Abraham tried to control things. And he messed things up when he took control. God was going to break him of that control. You look at Moses. Do you know how long Moses was in the desert getting ready before he would go to Egypt? He didn't even want to go back to Egypt. But God had him there, listen to how long, 40 years developing him, teaching him how to shepherd sheep because he was going to be shepherding about two and a half to three million sheep. God was getting him ready. Think of David. He was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Do you know what age? A teenager. And, and, but do you know this? He was anointed, but he didn't get to graduate right into that kingship. God was going to take him through a breaking process. And he was betrayed and let down by Saul and people turned on him and he ran for his life. He was in the wilderness for a period of time. God uses those things in our life to develop us. There are delays. He did it with so many others, right? Did it with Jacob, did it with Joseph. You just look at the Bible. You see that that's what God does with the people that he loves. And he loves us and he's getting us ready and he's preparing us. He doesn't waste the pain in our life. He uses those things to teach us patience and to make us into what he wants us to be, which is more like his son Jesus. That's the goal, by the way. All these delays and detour signs that are all over our roads, what do they indicate? They indicate this, something is under construction, right? When you see a detour sign, it's because something is under construction. Now, we are trusting that there is a big picture, right? Someone has the big picture. We may not see it right now, but somebody does, right? With maybe the city or whoever. There's a long-term plan and development. But in the meantime, here's what we find is that the, the detours and the delays are very inconvenient. And they are so interrupting. And, and they're just frustrating, some of you, that is the story of your life. You planned, you planned to be at a certain place at a certain time. You were like, I've got this in my mind that this is exactly how this is going to work out at this specific moment. And you're frustrated because what you've discovered is that maybe you're off on a tangent now. Or maybe you've all, you're off on a different road. And maybe it's just a longer road to get to that plan because in the process, God's needing to do something in you. And that's what's happening. You're under construction. Under construction, God has you in a holding pattern. And when your preparation, this is important, when your preparation is complete, then you are ready for his purpose, right? When the development is complete, you're ready for your destiny. He's getting you ready. God was getting Joseph ready, crafting the person, getting him just exactly the way that he wanted him for such a perfect time is what was about to be exposed to him in Egypt. The, when the person is finally prepared for the purpose, God is ready to bring about the promotion. The promotion will not come until the, until the development happens because God loves you too much to put you in that place. 
without the development first. By the way, you know what I know is that God does the same thing that he's doing with us as individuals. He does the same thing with churches. We planted this church uh, around 18 years ago. Uh, we didn't launch out public immediately, but when we started developing the cores around 18 years ago this month, that God uh, began to do that. And you know what I've discovered in those 18 years? Things have not happened as fast as I thought they would. I had a plan, man, of the way things were going to work out. And by the way, I can look back now and see God's sovereign hand in place protecting this church from me. (laughs) Because I'm just going to flat out tell you, I wasn't ready. So the delays, you can blame them on me, okay? But God would, has been needing to refine me, refine our staff, refine our church. Be sure that we understand that a church is not made up of a building. This isn't us. The next one we're going into isn't us. Have we learned that? God's saying, if you've learned it, I'm ready to promote you. I'm ready to give you more when you learn it and you'll use it for my glory not for you. And God had to get me ready. And God's been having to get our church ready. It never seems to happen in a straight line. There's always these detours and delays. That's the way he works. You see, here's the deal. In many, many times, God will have a purpose for something, but the purpose or the person he wants to use isn't ready. Maybe the person that he wants to bless couldn't handle the blessing. Might even abuse the blessing for their own personal gain rather than for God's purposes. So, so if that's where you're at today, you're in the holding pattern, pattern, you need to know this, that it's not a waste, that he's preparing you. He's getting you ready. Now back to Joseph's story. He's in the prison. He feels forgotten. Perhaps his hope got lifted a little bit when the cupbearer, he was like, man, don't forget me when you get out of here. And he's like, all right, he's going to go. Man, this guy's going to be really thankful that I helped him. And surely he's going to go right to Pharaoh and tell him about me. And then every day he's probably waiting on someone to knock on his door. One more disappointment. That dude forgot me too. Are you kidding me? Joseph has gone through all this pain in the last 13 years. And you know what? I think God was teaching him many things. But here's one thing I think God was teaching him at this specific moment was this, is that, Joseph, when you finally get out of this prison, it's going to be because of me, not because of you. It's going to be because of me connecting you, not you manipulating the situation. I'm going to be the one to do it, so you're going to be on hold for a couple more years. Number two, God allows delays, disappointments, detours to teach you and to teach me total dependence. Total, complete surrender and dependence. God was not about to let the cupbearer get credit for rescuing Joseph. He was not going to let Joseph Get credit for rescuing Joseph. What God was going to show Joseph was, I am your deliverer and your savior. There is no man that can save you but me. I'm the savior. 
and I want you to depend upon me. God was not about to let Joseph be made to even look out like the Savior here. As we know, the grand scheme of Joseph's life is the preservation of God's people in Egypt. And he's going he's gonna to show us today, it was me, not Joseph. It was me working through this man. Joseph didn't make this happen. God did. It's because of me that you're going to get your promotion. It's because of me that you're going to take the next steps. In fact, that cupbearer, he's not even going to remember your name. He's not even going to think about you. Paul learned this lesson. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, listen to what Paul went through, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Persecution, all kinds of stuff, suffering. We were crushed and overwhelmed. You feel that? Beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, look at what he says. We expected to die. We thought we were going to be killed for our faith. But look at this. But as a result... We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. He took Paul through a breaking process. And then I love that he throws in, who happens to raise the dead? Like Danny said a few minutes ago, right? Right? He said, not even death. I don't even have to fear that. God is in control. God wants to. When you're going through a holding pattern, you're in a delay, you're under construction, here's what's happening. God is stripping you of you. He's breaking you of your self-dependence and seeking to develop a God-dependence within you. Breaking us of, of, of control. All right, let's, let me just ask. How many of you would say, you are a control freak. Would you raise your hand? Raise them up high. Okay. You're like, don't tell me what to do. All right. <laughs> You're trying to control me. Um, how many of you know a control freak? All right. Everybody doing that? <laughs> okay. A lot of times we control freaks. Do you know what? A lot of times, I'm just saying, a lot of times we control freaks. We a lot of times get another lap around the desert. Because God is saying, as long as you keep trying to control this, I'm going to show you you're not in control. And I'm going to break you of you because I want you to fully be dependent upon me because when you're fully dependent upon me, here's what you're going to do. You're not going to take the credit. You're going to give me all the credit in your life. And you're going to point people to Jesus and not to you. And this is what we see going on in this. And as long as we're like, God, I got this, or I, I've got my resources, or my people, and I'm going to manipulate this, and I'm going to talk to them and get them to do it. And God just says, go ahead. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be responsible. I'm just saying that God is ultimately, sovereignly in control of our lives. We are not. God is the one who is in control and here's the deal. It's so tempting when we're in the holding pattern to try to take over. And that's what Abraham did. And that's what all of us have done at certain times. And God says, you're not ready. There's something that the Lord has really been teaching me the last five years as we've gone through this process of getting ready for our move and everything. I've discovered this, that there is incredible freedom and there is incredible peace 
when we finally, finally surrender everything. Not just what we want to surrender, but all of our lives. In our first service this morning, Karen Schwager, who is our business administrator, has worked with me for many years now, and I was saying this, there's been in these delays and detours, there's been disappointments and all that in, in our transition and move, but you know what? I can truly say this, that I have been at peace in all of that process, to her surprise. Because as I, I think I said it in this service, five years ago, some of that stuff happened, I'd have been fit to be tied in some of that stuff. God, again, has been using the city of Fort Worth to shape me into the man that I am today. <laughs> as we've gone through the processes, thank you, Fort Worth. What are you trying to control and manipulate today? What are you trying to hold on to that God's saying, I'm waiting on you to give this up to me completely. Maybe you gave it up one time, you've, you, you gave it to him, and now you've picked it back up. We can do that too. As a side note, my disappointment in not getting to run that race here in the next month, do you know what? I, I, I'm at peace about that too, except when you torment me with the eight-second countdown. I'm at, I'm at peace with that because here's what I know is that that day on that Sunday, there's going to be four services that I'm going to be doing that day on Sunday, the day before the race. The Boston Marathon's the Monday after Easter Sunday. I'd have to be in Boston by 6 p.m. to pick up my packet, and they won't give the packet to anybody else because of the security. I couldn't even send somebody. I might miss a flight or get delayed or whatever and get all the way and spend all that money and be so stressed out and maybe not even get to run it. Do you think I'd be fit to be tied then? Yeah, I'd be upset. So here's what I've come to the place of. I'm at peace because I know this. God loves me. God's protecting me probably from me in this, right? And God loves you and he's shaping you and working and be at, be at peace when you surrender. There's a freedom, all right? Back to Joseph's story just very quickly. Two more years, he's in waiting, wondering if the cup is gonna fix it for him. And he's disappointed over and over. And I wonder if those years were the darkest of all of those years. You know, maybe he thought, maybe, maybe I've manipulated. Maybe something, I can make something happen here. But what God was going to show him was that this deliverance was going to be a God thing, not a Joseph thing. And so Pharaoh has this dream. He's standing by the Nile. He's dreaming. He has a dream and he's at the Nile and he dreams of seven fat Chick-fil-A looking cows, okay? He sees those cows. And they are ready to be eaten, right? And then he has a dream. He sees seven, in the dream, seven skinny cows that come and eat up the good looking cows. And he's like, whoa, wakes up. What was that? And then he, he so it says that he's just, he's just, you know, perplexed. He goes back to sleep. He has another dream and there are seven grain or seven plump heads of grain that he sees. And then he sees seven uh, withered great plumps or, or excuse me, grain, heads of grain that come and they eat up those seven plump heads of grain. And he wakes up now and he's not just perplexed. It says, as you will read, he's disturbed. He's like, something is up. Someone's trying to tell me something. And so this is what we see. Now, what I want you to know is that Pharaoh has no knowledge of Joseph. Joseph doesn't know Pharaoh's having any kind of dreams. He doesn't know. He's in the dungeon, right? Write this down, number three. You're about to see a God thing happen. God, and this is in your life too, is always providentially working even when you can't see it. 
You can't see it right now. Joseph couldn't see it, but God was still working. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean something's not happening. God's getting things ready. He's getting you ready. He's getting the situation ready. He's getting the people who are in that situation ready. He is the sovereign God at work. It's not going to be luck or chance or fate that are going to get Joseph out of this place. Because here's the thing. Those things, when you understand the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, those things don't exist. God is providentially at work. What you're going through right now, you may feel forgotten. God is fully aware of where you are and what you're dealing with. He's fully at work. He knows about everything you're going through. He's working. And because he is God in his providence, even in the pain that you're going through, he can still use it for good. If you were here in the first week, you heard us say that where Joseph in chapter 50 is an older man now, and he says, what man intended for evil, God intended and used for good. That word intended is he wove it. He's the master weaver of your life. Okay. This is God providentially working in a perfect timing. Joseph's been developed and his character has been worked upon in this time. Look at verse 8. These crazy dreams. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt. And when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what that meant. He called in the big dogs. He called in the sages, human wisdom, I need some of this. And these guys profoundly said, when he said, what does it all mean? And their profound nature said, mm-hmm. And they didn't know. They had no idea. But what God was doing was showing this. Once again, God always seems to confound human wisdom. And he works in ways that don't make sense to us. So he's setting up that no human would get glory. The wise men were not going to get the glory. Pharaoh wouldn't. Joseph wouldn't. And after he's been, Joseph has been so broken and refined by God and utterly dependent upon God. In the perfect timing, God got Joseph ready and Pharaoh ready. Now he's about to cross these men's two lives together at the perfect time. And so the cupbearer walks up. He's like, what's going on? Pharaoh's having weird dreams, and nobody can figure it out. And Cupbearer's like, oh, no. I was supposed to tell him about Joseph. Look at what he says. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer. And then I think he said this probably really fast. And the chief, uh, and the chief baker was ex- executed and impaled on a pole, all right, because I just messed up. Please don't impale me, sir. And uh, here's what I want you to see. Number four, God will often step in when you least expect it. This is what he does. And at this time, this is what he did in Joseph's life. I want us to see this today. God can turn things on a dime when he's done with us. And he's getting things ready. And this is what he did. He's getting you ready. 
chapter or verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph. What does it say? At once, suddenly, instantly. You'll find that all throughout Scripture when God works sometimes when he's ready. And he was quickly brought from the prison and he shaved and changed his clothes. He went in and he stood before Pharaoh. Think of the turnaround at this moment. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Now I want you to notice Joseph's response. It is beyond my power to do this. Joseph replied, but God, he's been broken, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Did you notice who Joseph was pointing Pharaoh to now? God. God was delivering him and he's giving God the credit, his humility in this. And I believe he was a humble man because he'd been broken. It's astounding. I just want to just kind of just finish my time with you just by reading you the rest. And I want to let God speak to you, okay? I want to read you how this shakes out, all right? And notice how frequently, notice this, how frequently Joseph keeps pointing to God. Watch this. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God, by the way, Pharaoh was thought of as a God. And he's telling this guy what the real God says. There's boldness here too. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe and even the memory of the good years will be erased And as for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God. He's not taking credit. And God will soon make them happen. As a side note, God is Lord of the feast, and he is also Lord of the famine. That's important to understand. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Now, if this were me, I at this point would have been very tempted to say, like, say maybe Pharaoh, like, me, maybe? I mean, this would have been the point to say, I'm your man. He doesn't do this. He's so unassuming. He's trusting God to order his steps here. He's just telling Pharaoh what to do. This is what, if you're wise, you'll do here. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. God has given Joseph some godly wisdom. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials and watched this turn in Joseph's life. 
So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Isn't that powerful? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. It just goes along with whenever we humble ourselves, God exalts us. When we lift ourselves up, God brings us down, doesn't he? And this is what's going on here. You will be in charge of my court. All will take orders from you. Only I am sitting on my throne, will have rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand, placed it on Joseph's finger. That was the charge account to Egypt. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Do you remember the dream he had at 17? The people would be kneeling before him. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your authority or approval. He got promoted. He went from prisoner to prime minister. God promoted him. And you may be in your holding pattern right now. And you're like, what's going on? God's getting you ready. He's getting you ready. He's breaking you of you. God wants to bring about promotion in your life but here's the thing don't give up right now don't quit quit trying to control release whatever you're holding on to to God and rest in Jesus today last passage is Paul wrote this and I just feel like some of you really need to hear this so let's not get tired in Galatians let's not get tired of doing what is good or what is right Do the right thing. Keep on doing the right thing. At just the right, what does it say? Time. Do you know what time that is? Not your time. It's God's time. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing because you've been sowing in blessing. If, say it with me, if we don't, what? Give up. I want to just invite you to pray with me at this moment. Do you know what I I see in his life also was that he gave glory to God. Are you giving glory to God with your story? He pointed Pharaoh to God. We're supposed to point other people to God with our story that God is working in our life. Some of you, maybe you're about to give up on on your faith. Maybe you're about to throw in the towel. Well, God's trying to get your attention today. He wants you to surrender to him, to trust him. Are you still holding on to the reins of your life? Are you still trying to manipulate and fix 
everything yourself. He's saying, I want you to release these things to me. Trust me. Have you been delivered from something? Are you giving God the glory? Have you been saved? Are you living with humility and gratitude, pointing people to Jesus? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He is tenderly calling you to Him today. He's never stopped loving you. Sometimes He lets us come to the end of ourselves when we realize we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. Only Jesus could save us from our sin. If you've never trusted Jesus, you might just pray something like this right now. Dear Jesus, will you be my Savior? I place my faith in you. I believe you are the Son of God. Will you save me and rescue me from my sin? And I want to give you my life today. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray your peace would be with those that are in the holding pattern today. Would you encourage their spirit today that you are at work and would you give them your grace which is sufficient at this very moment for what they need. Thank you, Lord, that you're working always in our waiting. And it's in Jesus' name.